All right, well, we got action-packed evening planned for you. We got Deuteronomy chapter 9, we're going to start our sermon, and then we're going to have our missionary update, so then we'll have Zach come up from his last trip from Peru, um, share what's going on, the connections that we've been making, the, the most importantly, what the Lord's been doing and where He's doing it at, and so I'm excited for that as well. Let's go before the Lord. As, as Jay Verdon says, we go all aboard the Bible bus once again in Deuteronomy chapter 9. Father, we thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. I thank you, Lord, as you just continue to raise up new disciples, new people here, whether it's in the sound ministry or whether it's in the worship ministry and teaching ministry, Lord, you're just continuing to make disciples here, continuing to use us to do it, and it's so exciting. I pray as you lead us in Deuteronomy chapter 9 that we would learn from the nation of Israel and the things that they were going through and apply it to our lives and to the work you're doing now. And so we give you this evening, we pray that you would have your way with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, all of us have a history of some kind. If you've been on this earth for any amount of time, you've made mistakes. And sometimes those mistakes can haunt you. Sometimes they, people bring them back up. Then we have mistakes in our family, you know, things that your parents did, that you had to reap what they sow. Why did they move here? Why did they go there? Why did they do that? Maybe your great-grandparents. Maybe it's your lineage. Maybe it's where you come from. And we're going to see all those things this evening as the nation of Israel is confronted by their past. They're on the opposite side of the Jordan. Remember, they're preparing to go in and take the promised land that God has prepared for them. But Moses, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is continuing to share with them the importance of drawing near to God and not drawing to themselves. So let's jump in verses 1 through 6 together. Hear, O Israel, you are to cross over the Jordan today and go into dispossessed nations greater and mightier than yourself, cities great and fortified up to heaven, a people great and tall, the descendants of the Anakim, whom you know. And of whom you heard it said, Who can stand before the descendants of Anak? Therefore, understand today that the Lord your God is he who gives over you before you, who goes over before you as a consuming fire. He will destroy them and bring them down before you. So you shall drive them out and destroy them quickly, as the Lord has said to you. Do not think in your heart, after the Lord your God has cast them out before you, saying, Because of my righteousness, the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. But it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out from before you. It is not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart that you go in to possess their land, but because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord your God drives them out before you, and that he may fulfill the word which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Therefore, understand that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stiff-necked people. So Moses really knows how to have a good pep rally. I mean, I want you to focus here on the first few verses. The report that the Holy Spirit is giving Moses here to share with the people of Israel is worse than the one that the 12 spies brought back. Remember, 40 years prior, they had sent out the 12 spies into the same land, the same place, 
And they came back and they said, there's giants in the land. There's fortresses there. We can't take it. God's delivered us out here to die. And two people said, nope, let's go. Let's go take it. The Lord says so. And it was because of that failure that the nation of Israel is where it is here in the context of Deuteronomy chapter 9 on the other side of the Jordan. Looking in there, a whole generation has passed that had to be spent in the desert in judgment. And now Moses is sharing with them a worse report. No, not only bigger, they're genetically huge. They are as tall as the castles are tall as up to heaven, up into the sky the castles are so big. Now you can't beat these people, but God's going to do it for you. God's going to do it for you. And not only are these people not able to be beaten on your own, this, this battle, it's too big for you. You may think when you start to win that it's because of how great you are, but you're terrible. Now, I'm going to give you a hint. For the rest of the verses on, Moses is going to tell them how terrible they are. He's literally going to start listing out their, their failures, their complaints, the problems, the rebellions. But nothing has changed. In all this time, nothing has changed. Look at your past. Anything good that has happened in your life has come from God. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. Every single thing that is messed up with your life is because either you made some really bad choices or people around you made some really bad choices. We, we, we have some real failures in our lives. All of us do. And yet, and yet, even though we are a crowd of failures, we've been going through this in Galatians when we were talking about grace. Even though our heart is deceitfully wicked, like it says in Jeremiah, even though we, like Israel, are a stiff-necked, rebellious people, and he's going to prove it, God gives us victory. God grants us the victory. He is going to go like a consuming fire, and because of the God that has called them out of Egypt and brought them into the Promised Land, because of his victories, they are going to have victory. Not only is that victory proclaimed and prophesied, it's, it's a promise in advance. They simply have to walk in it. Moses then says, and when, and when you start to think it's because of how great you are, I want you to remember Deuteronomy chapter 9. Moses is saying, I want you to remember this. And now he's going to go into a history. But it is no different for us as New Testament believers in the age of grace. Nothing good comes from us. That is why we must crucify the flesh and its lust thereof. That's why we have to die to ourselves daily, as Paul said. That's why, as John the Baptist says, it must be more of him and less of us. He has to have his way because Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. We can do nothing. And nothing has changed. And we're going to see it's because of the goodness of God that we have victory, not because of our righteousness. And that's one of the clear points here that Moses wants to make. Verse 4, do not think in your heart after the Lord your God has cast him out before you, saying, because of my righteousness, the Lord has brought me in to possess the land. Some of us here have been walking with the Lord for a very short time. And so the people that have been walking with the Lord for a short amount of time, you're under, you're under no pretenses. The Lord has pulled you out. The Lord has blessed you, given you unmerited favor. Some of us have made some really bad choices recently, and the Lord's pulled us out. You're under no pretenses. No, the danger 
is for the disciple that has been walking with the Lord faithfully for a given amount of time. And the Lord has been doing some great things in you. Now, again, I, I tell everybody, I preach to myself. So I'm, I'm looking at the mirror when I say, when the Lord is using you for great things, you must be very, very careful because you'll begin to think, well, I'm doing so good. That's why he wants to keep doing good things through me. No, 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 no. Don't be under any pretenses. And so tonight, I am reminded of my failures. I'm reminded of my mistakes. I'm reminded of the things that God has delivered me from. And I'm reminded the only way to go forward to a future victory is to rely 100% on God's grace, on the moving of His Holy Spirit. Because the same way that we're saved is the same way that we're discipled. By faith alone, not by works, lest any man should boast. My, my works are simply fruit of the Holy Spirit working in me. The only thing I can work is works of the flesh, like we just talked about in Galatians chapter 5. You missed that bad boy? Go up online, pull it down. Galatians chapter 5, it's in there. Galatians 6, that is you sow, that shall you also reap. We want to trust more in the Lord. Well, we're going to look, let's look at verse 7 by itself here. Remember, do not forget how you provoked the Lord, your God, to wrath in the wilderness. From the day that you departed from the land of Egypt until you came to this place, you have been rebellious against the Lord. Question, who is he talking to? Everybody that was rebellious at Kadesh Barnea, except for two people, they're dead. Right? They were buried in the desert. The whole generation has passed away. So who is he talking to? Now, he's talking to Israel corporately, but none of them were there. And yet they are identified as a group. They are identified as the nation of Israel, the people of God. The nation of Israel are identified together. You stiff-necked and rebellious people, collectively. And so I, I mentioned when we started this sermon, you know, what things do we blame on our parents that we still do today? What things do we blame on our culture? What blame do we think, oh, I'm from America, that's the way it is? What thing do we blame on, oh, I'm Irish, I'm Italian, I'm Latino, I'm this, I'm that. It's not my fault. It's somebody else. I thought you were born again. I thought all the former things were passed away. I thought, behold, all things are new. We are a new creation. All that died on the cross. So if you're looking to the past for your present problems you're in trouble. The only thing we look to in the past is, our, is the cross, where Jesus paid the penalty for all of our trespasses and sin, past, present, future, all wiped away, 100% righteous. We need to cling to Jesus. Now, here's the encouraging part. If you are clinging to Jesus, if you are walking by grace alone, through faith alone, then you can look at your rebellion you can look at your failures, your family failures, your people's failures, your culture's failures, as an encouragement. How can you look at all these mistakes and problems as an encouragement? Mike, do you know what I've done? Well, look at David. Look at the sins and failures of King David. He killed one of his most loyal men because he slept with the guy's wife, had, was pregnant, got her pregnant, covered the whole thing up, lied to the people and to God. The prophet comes to him, gives him the story, and he condemns the person of the story. 
the child dies in judgment, this is not a very good guy. And yet, God doesn't give up on him. Continues to use him. David's family, his complete family legacy is a complete disaster because he's a terrible father. If you want to look into the scriptures, you'll see the point. He has favorites. He doesn't discipline his children. He is a man of compromise. And yet the Bible says he's a man after God's own heart. He's a failure. And yet God had tremendous victories in him as well. And he's a type of forgiveness. He's a, he's a type of grace. He's a type of the love that we have for the Lord and faith that the Lord will truly never leave you nor forsake you. And we can look at the nation of Israel and all its failures. I told you, we're going to look at a bunch of them here in a minute. And it can be an encouragement. God didn't give up on them. He's not giving up on you. There is no separation from the love of God. What can separate us from the love of God? Nothing, the Bible says. Nothing. And so we can look to the rebellious past. We can look to our failures, and we can use it as encouragement because God is good even though we are not. He is just when we are not. He is righteous when we are not. So we can look at it and say, remember, like it says in verse 7, and do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. Your fault or not, your generation or not. And we can look at our past and it can encourage us for the future. This is important in spiritual warfare before we go on to the next session, because spiritual warfare, the enemy will always condemn us with our failures. When the enemy condemns you with your failures, the reason he's doing that is he wants you to walk away from the Lord. He wants to just say you're not worthy to be in the presence of God, that God doesn't love you, that he doesn't want you, that he doesn't want to restore you. You've messed up. You've gone too far. When the enemy comes to condemn, you know it's from the pit. It's one way that you can discern your thoughts. The Bible says to hold every thought captive. Now, if you are convicted by your failures, you're convicted by your mistakes, the Holy Spirit is bringing you closer to the cross. It's bringing you closer to God. Yes, you messed up. Go to the healer. Yes, you messed up. Go to the restorer. He will resuscitate. He will revive. He will restore. He will continue to draw you closer to himself. And that's very important because we can look at those failures in our past and we can say, I need to stay away from the Lord before I mess this up more. But if we're allowing the Holy Spirit, we can look at those failures and say, you know what? He didn't give up on me then. He's not giving up on me now. Look at the nation of Israel. He has never forsaken them, even today. Even though they are in rebellion to him today, generally speaking, because there's more Messianic Jews today in Israel than there's ever been in history, aside from maybe the first century. He hasn't given up on them. The promise is still there. It's written in the book. 144,000 of them shall be preserved and saved through the tribulation. It's a, it's a law. It's happening. Now, strap in. Because their list is long. <laughs> Let's read verses 8 through 21. Also, in Horeb, he's going to start name dropping here, in case they really forgot. Also, in Horeb, you provoke the Lord to wrath. So that the Lord was angry enough with you to have destroyed you. When I went up into the mountain to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant, which the Lord made with you, 
Then I stayed on the mountain forty days and forty nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water. Then the Lord delivered to me two tablets of stone written with the finger of God. And on them were all the words which the Lord had spoken to you on the mountain from the midst of the fire in the day of the assembly. And it came to pass at the end of forty days and forty nights that the Lord gave me the two tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant. Then the Lord said to me, Arise, go down quickly from here, for your people whom you brought out of Egypt have acted corruptly. They have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded image. Verse 13. Furthermore, the Lord spoke to me, saying, I have seen this people, and indeed they are stiff-necked people. Let me alone, that I may destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven. And I will make you a nation mightier and greater than they. So I turned and came down from the mountain, and the mountain burned with fire. And the two tablets of the covenant were in my two hands. And I looked, and behold, you had sinned against the Lord your God and made for yourselves a molded calf. You had turned aside quickly from the way which the Lord had commanded you. Then I took the two tablets and threw them out of my two hands and broke them before your eyes. And I fell down before the Lord as at the first forty days and forty nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water because of all your sin, which you committed in doing wickedly in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. For I was afraid of the anger and hot displeasure which the Lord was angry with you to destroy you. But the Lord listened to me at that time also. And the Lord was very angry with Aaron and would have destroyed him. So I prayed for Aaron also at the same time. Then I took your sin, the calf which you made, and burned it with fire and crushed it and ground it very small until it was fine as dust. And I threw its dust into the brook that descended from the mountain." I'll say he made them drink it. He made them drink their own punishment, their own, their own judgment. Here they are, closer to God than they've ever been. Moses is up on the mountain. They can see the glory of the Lord there. They can see the lightnings and the thunderings. They're told, don't touch the mountain. When the Bible says here, when Moses says, for I was afraid, it's translated in the Greek meaning exceedingly frightened, stricken with terror. When he saw the sin of Israel, because of the holiness of God, the holiness and the perfection, the righteousness of God was going to wipe out Israel. But there was an intercessor. You know, the holiness of God, the perfection of our God, the Father, that no man can see him and live because he is so perfect. And yet he set his only begotten son as our intercessor, our great high priest, as it says in the book of Hebrews who's constantly making intercession for us at the right hand of the Father, our great high priest, who through him and his sacrifice has given us the righteousness of God, the purity of God, that as it says in the book of Hebrews, we can come boldly to the throne of God through our Lord Jesus. No, they didn't have that. Not only did they fail, not only were they in rebellion, but they decided to gather their gold earrings their gold rings, and make a molten calf. And Moses is being very nice here. If you remember the story back in the book of Exodus, he confronts Aaron, who God chooses to be the great high priest after this incident. 
After this incident. And what did Aaron say when Moses confronts him? Aaron said, well, we, the rings and stuff, they just jumped in the fire and this thing came out. I don't know how it got here. Uh, what? I've got better excuses from my four-year-old. <laughs> no, it just, it just happened by itself. No, Aaron. And yet the goodness of God, the mercy of God, that he can be so righteous and so perfect and so pure to the infinite, and he can deal with us sinners, us rebellion of heart, who are just like Aaron, who are just like the nation of Israel, and can forgive us and out of love give his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish. We deserve to perish. We deserve to be crushed, to drink that damnation. We, we deserve it. But who drank our cup? Our Lord Jesus. Lord, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Now, Moses was terrified for their sakes, and yet God showed mercy. Mike, that's not, a fun st- that's not a fun thing to look at. No, but again, I told you our failures can be an encouragement. God didn't give up on them. He continued to use Aaron as a high priest. He continued to use Moses. He never gave up on the nation of Israel. And so it is true with us. Our failures can be an encouragement because they reveal to us who we are and who God is. And we can go forward. Remember, where is the nation of Israel as they're hearing this, as they're going forward this? The encouragement is, don't ever think it's about you. God is going to give you the victory. That's the context here. That's how we started off this chapter. And so when we look at ourselves in the mirror and we say, man, I am just a complete mess up. It's an encouragement because God's not and he's at work. You never had this to begin with. What makes you think that you're in charge now if you're walking with him? Well, one is not enough. Like a good parent, Moses' lecture goes on for a bit. (laughs) Verses 22 and 24. Also, in case you thought there was just one, at Taborah, Amasa, Kibroth Hatava, you provoked the Lord to wrath. Likewise, when the Lord sent you from Kadesh Barnea, saying, Go up and possess the land which I have given you, then you rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God, and you did not believe him nor obey his voice. You have been rebellious against the Lord from the day that I knew you. At Tabera means burning, Numbers chapter 11, Kadesh Barnea, the promised land. They immediately start complaining. The second they're in, out of Egypt, they're starting to complain. They're saying they want to go back. Well, at least when we were slaves, we had watermelons and leeks. Those were lies. That's not even true. They were, they were murdering their sons. And they're like, no, we want to go back. Exodus chapter 17 at, at Massa means tempted. They provoked the Lord because they were doubting him in the, in the wilderness. Kibroth Hatava means the graves of craving. That was the place where they longed for meat instead of manna in Numbers 11. And God gave them quail. They ate so much quail, it literally started coming out of their noses. It was disgusting, the flesh. And then, of course, Kadesh Barnea, Numbers 13, 14. They were supposed to go into the promised land. The 12 spies came back. God had promised them the land, told them they would have victory. They doubted. They said, God has sent us out here to die, is what they said. And then God said, okay, then you will die. That will be your judgment. Your children will inherit the land. 
your children. And here are the children now at the Jordan getting ready to cross over where the parents had failed. And it's the parents' failures that are being brought to them. Remember, these people that are receiving this, none of them were there. If they were, they were very small children towards the end. The first generation is gone, but they still have that history there. The question is, what are they going to do with it? Allow me to get political just for a minute. In America today, in the United States, we talk about racial inequality, economic inequality. We talk about socialism. We talk about uh, racism, that America is inherently racist, that there's a slave legacy, that fill in the blank, gender inequality, all this talk about inequality. And they want to bring up the failures of the past and the failures of our parents, our grandparents, great, 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 great grandparents. And they want to hang it over our head. What this nation needs is Jesus Christ. This nation needs to understand that we can have a new day, a reset, that the mercies of God are new every day, that every generation has failures. Every generation can look at the past and can look at those failures. But as a follower of Jesus Christ, I am not a race. I am not a people group. I am not a language. I am a child of God made in the image of God like every other human being on this planet. And we're focusing on the wrong thing. People are far more concerned with the wallets of man than the heart of man. And our hearts are deceitfully wicked and they're being revealed. You cannot create a law to change the heart of man. The entire Bible declares it to be so. And the entire history of the nation of Israel shows it to be true tried, tested, and true. We need a great awakening in this nation. We need hearts that turn to God to realize we can't fix this thing. Coming from a former communist, I am telling you, it is not humanly possible because of the sinful nature of the human heart. We are deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? Left to ourselves, we will mess it up. We need to be redeemed. We need a great reset. As the nation of Israel is sitting there in front of the Jordan, they have a decision to make. Will we fail like our parents and blame their mistakes for our current failures? Or will we proceed with God and walk in the victory he gave us? And the message is the same for the United States of America today. Will we continue to focus on the sins and failures of the past? There are many. And there are many righteous deeds that God did. Remember, every good and perfect thing comes from above. The great things that have happened in the United States of America are 100% because of the goodness and righteousness of God and His Word. And the sins and the failures and the enslavement and the war, that's on us. That is the human heart. And we need to have a revival. And so the question is for the church, for us, as we're on this side of the Jordan, as we are to go and walk forward, Are you just going to continue to look back and be stumbled by the failures of our forefathers? Or will we walk in God's victory, His grace, the Word of God, and the Holy Spirit, and continue to have a work of God? Because the great things that have happened in this nation have happened because of the Holy Spirit moving. Look at the first and second great awakening, third and fourth great awakenings. Go home, Wikipedia, that little bad boy, I got some homework for you. And see what the Lord has done in this nation in the past. 
I tell you now, if we die to ourselves and we lean on Christ, if we know that every good and perfect gift comes from above and not from us, that our heart is deceitfully wicked, and we 100%, by moving of the Holy Spirit, yield to Him, He will do exceedingly abundantly more than we can ask or think. Or we continue to look at our failures, our past, our background, and be stumbled. Because you can make two choices. You can make the sin of Kadesh Barnea and not proceed. Or in the book of Joshua, go into the promised land, follow after the Lord. And even then you're going to mess up. Even then you're going to fail. But we want to fail forward with the Lord. Now let's continue, because he's not done. (laughs) Verses 25 through 29. Thus I prostrated myself before the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. I kept prostrating myself because the Lord had said he would destroy you. Therefore, I prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord God, do not destroy your people and your inheritance whom you redeemed through your greatness, whom you have brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Remember your servants Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do not look on the stubbornness of this people or the wickedness of their sin, lest you land from which... Lest, they, lest the land from which you brought us should say, because the Lord was not able to bring them to the land which he promised them, and because he hated them, he has brought them out to kill them in the wilderness. Yet they are your people and your inheritance, whom you brought out of your mighty power and by your outstretched arm. Remember the 2020 vision of the Bible. What's the context? If you want to understand the context of a portion of Scripture, read the 20 verses before, the 20 verses after. You'll usually always get the context. What is the context here? Because he has a subject change. He talks about him being an intermediary. He's talking about the rebelliousness of God. Rebelliousness of God? How tired am I? He's talking about the rebelliousness of the nation of Israel. He's showing them multiple places in their history where they've been rebellious. And then he's saying, nevertheless, I made intercession for you. Now, I want you to see some important points. When he's going to God and praying for the nation of Israel, don't judge them, Lord, don't wipe them out. What is he identifying with? God himself. He's identifying with God's grace and righteousness. You made these promises, your prom- you never break your promises, Lord. You said you, take, you, you promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that these would be your people, and the Lord never breaks his promises. It's the work of God, not the work of the people. He doesn't pray, oh, Lord, if you had just made these people better, this would have worked out. Lord, if you were just a better God, you wouldn't have allowed these people to be tempted this way. If you were just a better God, Oh, Lord, you wouldn't have made these people to be rebellious. Is that not what our society is saying today in rebellion to God? No, Moses says, God, you're so perfect. You're so holy. You're so righteous. You couldn't do this. We can't say to the world, oh, yes, God, you were weak. You couldn't do that with your people. And so we know our intercessor is not Moses. Our intercessor is Jesus Christ himself, the Son of God in the flesh, right hand of the Father making intercession for the saints. But he calls us to be intercessors. Listen, Christian, if you want to stop fooling around, stop looking to the culture to get better. The culture is never going to get better because it's full of people. Well, Mike, do you want us to give up? Absolutely not. We need to be like Moses and Jesus himself who made intercession. Jesus made intercession at the Garden of Gethsemane. Lord, let your will be done. 
He sweat, as it were, great drops of blood, understanding the judgment that he was going to take. No, we need to be praying that the Holy Spirit moves in the heart of people. Because if you think that people are just going to get better because we lectured them about how the old days were better, you're out of your mind and you're not biblical. But if you say, Lord, you can have your way, you can do the miraculous, you can change. You can change people. Your spirit can move. You've done it again. You'll do it again. I pray for one great revival, one last great revival before the Lord's glorious return. He's done it before. And I say, Lord, you can do it. You know your people can't. You know we can't. Lord, you know we're weak. And I tell you, I'm even more personal. Lord, you know I'm weak. You know I can't do it. You know I'm going to mess this up, Lord. You know I'm going to say the wrong thing. I'm going to mess up in my preparation. I'm going to get too tired. I'm going to yell at my wife right before church. You know, Lord, you know my thoughts are far off. You know what a failure and rebellious person I am. Nevertheless, I know how good you are. I know how strong you are. I know how true and how perfect you are. Lord, I want to lean on you. Have your way in me. And then we say, Lord, have your way in this church. Lord, get us in your word. Change our heart. Write your, write your words on the tablets of our heart. And Lord, as you change this church, will you change our community? Change the other churches, your bride. Through the Holy Spirit, move. Through your word and through the Holy Spirit, draw your people to yourself. We can't do it. And then we can pray, Lord, do that to your, this nation. Do this to your people. And then America can be a light to the world once again. Because we used to be a light to the world about freedom, about truth, about the ability to worship freely. Now we're just a beacon of capitalism, a beacon of brands, a beacon of money. We've lost it. But I tell you, people can't bring it back any more than a nation of Israel could take the promised land. No, our great God can do that. So we're going to pray. I'm going to close us in prayer, and then we're going to talk about what the Holy Spirit is doing. And then we're going to see that what he's doing in other places, he can do here in our hearts, our church, our community, and the whole world. But not we, but him. Lord, we want to thank you so much for your word tonight. We pray your spirit would continue to move. We pray, Lord, that you would guide and direct us, and that you would light a fire within us. We can't do it, Lord. We're failures. We're rebellious. We're stiff-necked people ourselves. But you have taken the stony hearts from within us and given us a heart of flesh. We thank you for who you are, and we thank you for forgiving us for who we are. In Jesus' name we pray.